You are listening to Announce, Season 3, Episode 26, Practicing Emotional Resilience. A program note. The audio quality, especially on my side of this interview, is not great. I apologize. My mic just didn't want to function properly, and it cannot be fixed. But the interview content is so good, it's too good not to share. You are listening to Announce, a podcast providing inspiration, ideas, and wisdom through engaging stories, commentary, and interviews, so you can live life better. Jim Fugate here, and it's my privilege to share an ounce with you. Today, I have an interview I'd like to share with you. A fine lady by the name of Beth McAfee. Thank you for coming, Beth. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for asking me. Now, you've got some stories for us, but could you first give us a little background on where these stories came from as we... and then. Just tell me where, how did this happen? How did you discover this little principle you're going to share with us? Well, um, recently I was preparing for an introduction to an emotional resilience class that was being offered through our church. I wasn't the facilitator, so I don't have all the answers. I was just trying to encourage people to take the class. And I was trying to think of some relevant stories. And um, I thought of three-year-olds. Three-year-olds need emotional resilience. Everybody needs emotional resilience, but what what happened? What well, did this three-year-old do? They do. They do. Everybody needs it, but I thought, well, if I talk about three-year-olds, then I won't offend anybody in the audience. <laughs> so, yeah. So when I was 15, I had a little brother who was three, and that was kind of my first up-close encounter with three-year-olds. So as a 15-year-old, you're watching your little three-year-old brother. You're right at the age where you can really start to learn Oh, and I thought I was so smart, but I had a lot to learn about three-year-olds. Yeah, by the, by the time you're 18, if you're like me, you already know everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember learning you need to allow grace for three-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And you sometimes you simply cannot reason with them. Um, so I remember standing in the kitchen when this scenario was going on. Little brother Kurt had slept in and missed breakfast with the family. And my, my mom was getting him French toast just like he wanted. She was serving it hot, and the butter was melting, and the syrup. I mean, it was delicious. And he bursts into tears, and she's like, what? What's going on? And he says, I wanted you to cut it up with a pizza cutter. And he would not eat his French toast. So I was like, wow, that is dazzling. <laughs> yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. For a three-year-old, the difference in the way that something is cut, makes a real substantial honest-to-goodness difference to them. But as you grow older, you begin to realize, well, maybe pizza cutter, knife, doesn't really make that much of a difference. But to a three-year-old, it makes a difference. And it can ruin your whole breakfast, just like it did for your three-year-old brother. Well, Kurt did grow up and became a great functional adult. But at three, he cried a lot. So so anyway, fast forward, when I I grew up and got married and started having my three-year-olds, I'm thinking, I got this. I've got three-year-olds. I get how they are, you know, and they're going to melt down. And uh, my oldest daughter was typical. She was an emotional three-year-old. And then I have a son, and he's a three-year-old. And at the time, we were living in Vernal, Utah, and had about an acre of yard, which included a lot of trees. Lots of room for a three-year-old. Yes. That's great. And he had uh, a lot of ability to run and play and be outside. Well, one time he finds this big old fat stick that had broken off a tree, and it became his treasure. And he would 
pick up this stick every morning because I wouldn't let him take it in the house. He had to leave it outside, of course. But, I mean, he would imagine it was a gun, a staff. He had beat it against things. And I was outside with him one day, and he beat it against our fence, and it broke in two. Uh-oh. And he got this huge look of surprise on his face. And then he says to me, look, now I've got two. Oh, my goodness. Which I was just shocked. I was expecting tears. Oh, I was expecting yeah. the, the meltdown? meltdown. No, instead it's... I've got two of them He's now. got two, and he went about, you know, just happy as a lark going all along. And I'm thinking, wow, he has a gift. Not everybody has the ability to look at life with such joy. Especially three years old, yeah. So that means he came with it. I didn't, I didn't have the same ability. <laughs> I was like, he did not learn that from me. I was more like the Eeyore. <laughs> And I, but as I watched him, I'm like, as a teenager, I told him, Kenny, if you could bottle this attitude, you would be rich. He had, and he still has, this very positive attitude. And like I said, I don't come with it, and many of us don't. But I can see its benefit, you know, to be able to live your life with so much joy just by being able to spontaneously take these situations and just see the delight oh, yeah. in them. Yeah, most of us don't do that. We do more what the meltdown three of Yes. Because that's what we learn, that's what we've seen. But to watch somebody with that gift, instead of going, oh, no, my stick is broken. Hey, yeah. now I've got two sticks. I've got two. <laughs> yes. just elated with that fact. It's yeah. Amazing. Well, here's the good part, that eventually I've come to learn that I, too, can have a positive attitude. And even though I wasn't born with one, I could learn how to bring it into my life by using gratitude and drumroll practice. Sometimes you can practice how you want to react in your head. So I, I read this book, Resilient, by Rick Hansen, and he talked a lot about practicing doing things correctly. And then you're more likely to do them correctly. I, I find it interesting that you, you identified two things. Gratitude. Now, that's yes. what I've heard a lot about. Ah. But then you suggest practice. Yes. Practicing. Yes. Give us another example, perhaps, if you could, of what you mean by practice. Well, something that I'm, I'll be honest here, sometimes I have a sharp tongue, okay, mm. and I come at people, bam, really sharp. So those moments that I don't, that I'm generous, that I'm kind, that I'm gentle, that I'm calm, then I take that back into my head and I say, how did I feel when I did it right? Oh, I'm happier. I'm really pleased with myself. I, you know, acted like a decent human being. I like that. Yeah. Uh, a great philosopher and writer, Viktor Frankl, was writing about his experience in the uh, Holocaust in the prison camps. And he identified that space, that moment in between stimulus and response. And he said that's where all the power is at, is grabbing a hold of that, finding that tiny little space, and choosing a different response or a different action. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're talking about by practice, is in, if I understand you correctly, as you go through life, when you're lucky enough to grab a hold of that spot in between stimulus and response, and say, okay, I'm going to do it this way, see what happens. And then as it works out really positive and so much better, you kind of let that be imprinted on your system so that over time, that becomes 
exactly. automatic response instead of what you had before, in your case, the sharp tongue, or whatever challenge we might be trying to overcome that's making our life and the life around us maybe a little more difficult when it doesn't have to be. Yeah. So Beth, as we boil all of this down, what's the ounce? What are we going to get from this? Well, I, I want to go back to the practice idea because I think there's so much power in practice. Mm-hmm. So I took a lot of piano lessons. I also, when I was old, took organ lessons, which made me feel like I had a stroke because I had to use my feet in places and times when I, it just didn't feel normal. Yeah. Um, so over and over and over and over again, the impossible became possible. And you can practice in your head. You can practice, you can make a concerted effort to say, I'm going to go over this in my head the way I want it to be. I can speak like I want it, want to speak. I can practice doing that so that the brain picks up the grooves of doing it right or whatever you want to call it, but that practice can make a difference in your life. That's awesome. And practice can make a difference in how happy you are and how you yes. face what you might have before. Mm-hmm. Deemed a challenge or a problem is now. Mm-hmm. Look. Look, I, now I've got two. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. An ounce submitted for your consideration. Thank you for listening, subscribing to, and sharing an ounce. I'm Jim Fugate, and I'll catch you next time. Hey, Jim, that was great. Beth did a fabulous job. What's that? Okay, Jim, fix your mic. Oh, okay. I said, yeah, Beth did great. Stupid mic. I think I need a new recording engineer. Dang it. (laughs) Hey, check out our YouTube videos at youtube.com forward slash at an ounce podcast. That's youtube.com forward slash at symbol an ounce podcast.